0: Hey, good morning everyone. How's everybody today? Good. Yes, lots of reason to celebrate. Hey, we are so glad that you're here today. My name is Paul mumon and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. I get to be a part of some of the great things that are happening here at this church and uh, we're so glad that you're here with us. And as... Uh, Ben was praying, I was pretty sure that that was my cue to come up on stage, but I found myself questioning, I hope there isn't one more song, otherwise it's going to be really awkward uh, for me to stand here on the front stage and maybe just try and give you a little vibe or something and and sing along. But that would be an awkward moment. And, And speaking of awkward moments, have you ever found yourself in an awkward or an uncomfortable situation? You know, those, those awkward moments. You, you know, those moments where you, you kind of feel like you're totally out of place or, or trapped and, and with nowhere to go. Maybe it was a moment that looked somewhat like this. Hi, Daddy. Hi. Hi. Oh. I missed you so much. I Fempting. missed you too, oh. Flapjack. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, oh. oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh boy. Shorts that, that, shorts that, shorts that, that coming. coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my little girl? Oh. Hey, Mommy. Oh. Hi, Mom. Oh, you look so beautiful. Oh, so do you. Oh. Look at oh. you. Oh, I'm sorry. Mom, Dad, this is Greg. <laughs> Hi, Greg. I'm Pam's father, Jack Burns. Yeah, it's great to finally meet you. Good and meeting I'm you. Dina. Welcome oh, to Oyster Baker. Great. Oh. <laughs> 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 what are you driving there, Ford? Oh, yeah, it's a uh, Taurus. Yeah, we were going to get a mid-size, but I figure, hey, I'll pull down decent bucks. Might as well go all out and pop for the full size. <laughs> sure. oh. Interesting color, you pick it? Oh, no, the guy at the counter. Why? No, well, they say geniuses pick green. But you didn't pick it. <laughs> <laughs> Jack. <laughs> oh, don't you hate moments like that? Guys, was uh, your first meeting maybe with your girlfriend's dad or uh, your future father-in-law like that at all? You know, you hate those moments when you find yourself trapped, it's completely awkward, you don't know what to do, you know, or or those moments where maybe you stick your big fat foot in your mouth, you know, You, you say just the wrong thing at just the wrong moment. Or how about this one, you know, maybe you're out to dinner with another couple, and it's completely obvious to you that they're in an argument, even though they're trying to hide it, they're trying to play it off, and so the whole evening, the whole dinner is just completely awkward because they're fighting, and you're trying to act like you don't know what's going on, even though you know what's going on, and they don't really think that you do, but it's, it's awkward, and it's uncomfortable. Well, Jesus was the king of uncomfortable moments. And he was always saying things that that made some people pretty uncomfortable, made his disciples uncomfortable, made the people that were listening to him uncomfortable. And whenever he had large crowds together and he was teaching, he would inevitably say something that that just made people uncomfortable. And, And when he was done teaching, some stayed because they wanted to keep hearing what he was saying, and others, they just walked away because they didn't like what he had to say, they didn't agree with what he had to say, and they didn't want to hear anything more. Well, this morning... We're going to take a look at some of the uncomfortable uncomfortable words spoken by Jesus. There are some uncomfortable truths that I want to talk to you about. And for some of you, you may not like what I'm going to have to say today. There's a chance that you're not going to like what I have to say. And there's a chance that you may not come back next week. There's even a possibility that you might not come back next year. But this morning, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. Because the Bible is the foundation of everything that we believe here at Genesis Church. And and sometimes it's comfortable. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And sometimes the things that we talk about are very popular. And they're very popular with society at large today. And sometimes there's some things that we talk about that are pretty unpopular. But it doesn't matter. Because what we believe is what the Bible teaches. And sometimes that truth, those words that Jesus spoke, are a bit uncomfortable. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. We'll, we'll have the text available for you as well. And, and let me just say that if you came this morning and, and you don't have a Bible and would love to take one with you today, consider it our gift. Stop by the Info Hub as you're leaving and, and we would love to give you one to take with you. But uh, if you turn to John chapter 11, this morning we're going to spend some time talking about a resurrection. However, and, and it might be somewhat ironic and even a risk, but, w- but we're not going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus today. We're, we're going to look at the resurrection of, of Jesus' close friend, a guy by the name of Lazarus. And so in John chapter 11, beginning in verse one, follow along with me. Here's what it says. Now there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. And so there's this man by the name of Lazarus. His sisters are Mary and Martha. He's a friend of Jesus and he's on his deathbed. And Mary and Martha, his friends have done everything they could for him and he's going to die. But this man is a friend of Jesus. And so Mary and Martha send word to Jesus and they don't even use his name. They just say, hey, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. And here's the truth for Lazarus. Lazarus needed to be saved. And that's the first uncomfortable truth we come to this morning for you and me. And that is that we need to be saved. Every single one of us, we need to be saved. And we don't always think of ourselves this way. You know, we don't think these types of things, especially, you know, driving nice cars and living in this, you know, nice, cozy part of the state of Indiana. But we feel pretty safe. But it's more than that. Imagine it like this. Suppose that you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean And all of a sudden, a storm comes up, the waves are great, the boat capsizes, and you're stuck in the water, desperately just trying to keep your head above water. And for now, you're surviving. You know, in that moment, you're surviving, but you're in the middle of nowhere. There's no person or no lifeboat in sight. But then, aha, you remember, you've got your iPhone in your pocket, all right? You've got your iPhone and you reach for it, and fortunately, you downloaded that application that makes your iPhone waterproof, all right? And so you've got your iPhone, you, you, you turn it on, and, and, and whoa, well, what do you know? You've actually got reception. You know, you've got reception. And, and so you, you're ready to make a call, but oh, stink, the battery's going dead, and if only you would have downloaded the application that made your battery eternal power, you know? Then, then you know, you'd have enough power in this moment so you've got just a couple of minutes left. You know and and you can make one phone call. So so who are you gonna call? You know I wanted to say Ghostbusters here but I'm not gonna say it. So who are you gonna call? You know are you gonna call Donatos and order a pizza because you're hungry and you need the strength to keep swimming? Or are you gonna call your boss and you're gonna finally ask for that for that big raise because you know you deserve a little extra dough. Or, or maybe you're, you're going to call your girlfriend and you're, you're finally going to pop the question to her, the one, the one that you've been holding out on. No, of course not. You're not going to do any of these things. I mean, mo- the most important question in that moment that you're going to ask is, who could possibly save me? And, and sometimes we come to church, you know, and we talk about finances and we talk about relationships and we talk about our future and all kinds of stuff that matters on this side of the grave. And, and that's okay. Because the Bible has a lot to say about these things. And those things are great to talk about, unless, of course, you're drowning. Because if you're drowning, that that just changes everything. And if you're drowning, you're probably going to want to take care of that first. And here's the truth. Every one of us needs to be saved. You know, the Bible says that we've all sinned. Every single one of us sitting here in the room today, including myself, we all share that in common. And the book of Romans teaches that the wages of sin is death. And, and this is more than just earthly death. I mean, we all know that everyone dies. But what the writer is speaking of is an eternal separation from God, which really is just kind of a comfortable way of saying hell. All of us have sinned, and what we deserve for our sins is hell. And, and you know, the Bible teaches that, that hell's a horrible place. You know, it's a place of outer darkness and incredible loneliness. Jesus says that hell is a place where the worm dies and that fire is not quenched. You know, and the truth is that unless we are saved from sin, hell is our reality. And now I know a lot of people don't realize this, but, but I think more people just choose not to think about it. You know, if I don't think about it, then I don't have to deal with it. I mean, it's hard to believe, and so why think about it? I mean, it's kind of like the truth with bacon. All right? Believe it or not, it's kind of like the truth. Do we have any bacon fans in the crowd? Any bacon lovers? Lots of bacon lovers. Good. Glad to hear that. Well, I'm a big fan of bacon. Okay? Now, I don't eat bacon every day. I'm not that kind of a person or anything. But, you know, this past Friday, had a little extra time in the morning, cooked up a nice breakfast with an omelet, cooked some bacon, Uh, you know, good stuff. And it I mean, it's good. I mean, you got to admit, bacon is a great thing. And, you know, not just kind of lightly crisp, you know, pan fried especially. But you want to keep it just light enough that that fat piece on the end doesn't get too crispy because you want to kind of work it with your teeth a little bit, you know? You know what I'm talking about? You know, you want to kind of have to get those incisors into it and tear it apart a bit. Well, here's what I'm holding out for. I'm holding out for the day that dietitians finally come forward and say, the greatest secret of all has just been revealed that bacon is actually very good for you. I mean, it, in fact, we're going to add it to the vegetable food group because, you know, it's that good. And, and that's what I'm holding out for. I mean, don't tell me how, bacon, how bad bacon is because the fact is I don't want to deal with the hard truth with bacon. And you're wondering where that's going, but I guess it's going here. That I think it's a, how a lot of us can be with, with truth that we don't like. You know, just, just don't tell me the truth because... I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want to have to deal with it. I just want to keep living my life. And so you're here this morning, and maybe you're thinking, well, I believe in God, but I just don't believe in God who sends people to hell. And, and, you know, we like to paint this picture of God, of a God that, that kind of makes us feel better, you know, a God who would never do such a thing. But the one true God has spoken clearly, and he has said that all of us have sinned, And what we deserve for our sins is hell. I mean, God isn't about sending people to hell. He's about keeping people from hell. And because of this, we need to be saved. And that kind of leads to another uncomfortable truth. The next one is that we can't save ourselves. That you and I cannot save ourselves. and, And it's hard to accept this. Imagine this, you know, I mean, just kind of thinking about our times today. If you were to walk up to a random person on the street, maybe downtown Indianapolis, and stop them and ask them the question, are you going to heaven? You know, I'd say there's a good chance that over 90% of them would say, yeah, you know, I'm going to heaven. And and maybe you follow up with a why. You know, why why do you believe that, that you're going to heaven? And most would probably say something like this, well, I'm a good person. You know, I, I try and do the right thing. I try and be an honest person. I, I, I treat my neighbor, you know, fairly. I, I'm good to my wife. I'm good to my husband. I, I'm good to my kids. You know, I, I'm trying to do things right. Or, or, or maybe they might compare themselves with somebody else or a group of people and say, hey, you know, I mean, look at, look at the type of life those people are living. You know, compared to them, I'm, I'm doing okay. And so we find out that there are a lot of people who hold out that God is kind of like keeping score, you know, and maybe he's grading on a curve or, or something like that. You know, one of the most difficult classes that I have ever taken in my life was biology and freshman year biology, and to make it even worse, freshman year of high school biology. I'm not kidding. It was one of the most difficult classes I've ever taken, And, and first of all, it didn't help that I wasn't overly interested in the subject. I mean, protoplasm and mitochondria and the anatomical makeup of a worm and who cares when a homozygous cow gets together with a heterozygous black and white cow at night and what happens and all that. I don't really care, you know, what, what's going on there. And so I wasn't really interested. And so first of all, that, that kind of made it difficult. That made it a little challenging. But what made it even more difficult was the fact that Mr. Lanning was one of the hardest teachers that I ever t- had taken. I mean, he, he, w- he was plain straight up hard. And, and, but the one thing that Mr. Lanning did that was different than most of the teachers in our high school was that he graded on a curve. All right, and if you you kind of forget how that works and all, just suppose that Mr. Lanning gave a a 100-question test, and if the highest score is a 70, then that was the standard. And so your score was measured by that 70. And so while in every other class a 70 was a, was a D, you know, in Mr. Lanning's class that 70 would be considered a perfect score. So you could get a 64, which was a big fat F, you know, in every other class, But your 64 actually turned out to be an A minus. And, and I'm not kidding. It, it, was, it, it was quite common that the highest score in Mr. Lanning's class would be 65, you know, on, on a 100-question exam. And then that was the standard everyone was measured by. Now, A's did not come naturally for me. I mean, I had to work very hard to get an A. I I had to give everything that I could and and it it didn't come easy and and I had to work hard in this class and, and, and we'd fight in the class to try and establish that curve. It took everything I could do just to get a B in Mr. Lanning's class. I mean, my life was not in my own hands as much as I tried. And you know, in life, you can't save yourself either. You know, I mean, we can try as hard as we want, and and I can understand and I can appreciate nice people who who do great things in their family and in their community, but being a nice person isn't good enough. I mean, it it doesn't meet the standard. And and I know that some of you here today, you grew up in churches where you were taught that it was all about how many nice things you did, you know, that that's what God was looking for, you know, just kind of your checklist of of nice things. And so you never miss church. You know, you strive to make all the right choices. You've given 10% of your income all the time. You've never even had a sip of alcohol, not even O'Doul's, you know. You you didn't have sex before marriage, and you've never said a cuss word, out loud at least, you know. And and maybe you've been that good, and that's great, but here's the crazy thing. It's still not good enough. We can't save ourselves, and that's the truth. And, And so back to the text here. This word comes to Jesus that Lazarus is dying. And verse 5 tells us that Jesus waits two days before he leaves to go check on him. And when he finally arrives at the village, Lazarus has been dead. He's been buried for four days now. And there's this heartbreaking scene when he arrives where people are mourning and weeping over the death of Lazarus. And in verse 20, it tells us that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so it's almost kind of like she points a finger out at Jesus. And some translations actually write, actually say that if only, if only you had been here. How would you finish that sentence? I mean, I'll start it and then you finish it in your mind. Jesus, if only you would have Jesus, if only you had. I mean, how would that go for you? I mean, my guess is that many of you, if not all of us, have had some of these if-only moments. You know, Jesus, if only you would have come through, and you didn't. And like Martha, you, you kind of feel like Jesus let you down, which leads to another uncomfortable truth. And that is that sometimes Jesus doesn't save us the way we think he should. Sometimes Jesus doesn't save us the way we think he should. And and we want the good life now. And so maybe you say, you know, Jesus, if only you would have kept my parents together, then maybe everything would be different. Or Jesus, if only you would have given us that baby, maybe things would be different. Or Jesus, if only the cancer would have never come or if the cancer would have disappeared or stayed in remission. Or, Jesus, if only I would have gotten that job. Or, Jesus, if only you would have saved my marriage or or, or sent someone into my life at just the right time. If only, if only, if only. And you just kind of feel like he's let you down. And, And Martha wasn't the only one feeling this way. You know, the crowd responded later on in verse 37. You know, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I mean, Jesus could have done something. He could have done something. and He could have done it sooner. And we think that, you know, if God can, then why doesn't he? And whether it was a year ago or five years ago or 10 or 20 years ago, he didn't come through the way that you needed him to. And so maybe you're here today and you even call yourself a Christian and believe that you are and, and, and even are, but you're pretty confused with what you think about God right now. Or, or maybe you were taught if you follow Jesus, then everything will be easy. But then all of a sudden life happened and you found yourself kind of asking, what did I get myself into? I mean, there are all sorts of ideas regarding how we think that God should save us. Let me show how it went for me. You know, back to freshman year biology. Biology. It was in that biology class that my prayer life went to new levels, all right, even as a freshman. I mean I was praying for everything. I was praying before every test, and when I knew I hadn't studied hard enough, I I was praying that like God would magically just give me the answers to every question. And as I'm going down that scantron sheet, oh I've used too many A's in a row, now I need some B's or some C's. God help me to configure just the right bubble and you know, just lay the book up against your head at night, kind of like by osmosis that you'd remember all these things. And so I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, you know, God help me. Me. god saved me i don't want to fail this i, I can't get through this and, and i prayed my heart out and you know the crazy thing about it is that god came through i mean he did he, he actually answered my prayer he saved me but he, he didn't save me in the way that i was expecting here's what happened midway through the year our class got assigned a student teacher All right. Now, this student teacher was a college student who was finishing up her education degree in biology, so she was assigned to our class for like 10 weeks. So she did all the lecturing, she wrote all the tests, created all the homework, and she tried to be hard, but she was like 10 times easier than Mr. Landing. And so I I even managed to get an A that one particular quarter when we had this, this student teacher, this substitute, and God saved me. I mean, he answered my prayer in freshman year biology class, and my faith has never been the same. You know, here's the funny thing about life. We'd like to come up with a number of ways for God to save us. You know, help me get an A. Or or give me this raise or, or send Romeo my way. But here's the good news. God did save us. And like my freshman year biology class, when we got a substitute, God saved us by sending a substitute on our behalf. He sent Jesus. And because he knew we couldn't do it, he sent Jesus. And because we couldn't meet the standard, he sent Jesus. And because we couldn't save ourselves, he sent Jesus to save us. He sent Jesus to die for the forgiveness of my sin, and he sent Jesus to die for the forgiveness of your sins. And the salvation that Jesus offers to us is greater than any other solution that you think God could ever offer you. And so in verse 23, Jesus looked into the eyes of this sister of Lazarus and he said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again and the resurrection at the last day. And she kind of thinks that Jesus is saying what a lot of people say at funerals. You know, he's in a better place or, you know, he's no longer sick or you'll see him again one day, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 25. Here's what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says in this next verse, we don't have this, but do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. And then he follows it up by asking a question of Martha. He says, do you believe this? What's Jesus saying? I mean, he's saying, "Hey, I am God. You know, I'm not just a great teacher. I'm not just this great moral teacher. I'm not just a prophet. I am God." And then Jesus says, "I am the life." And the, the Bible teaches us that everything we need for real life and real living is found in Him and Him alone. And that's contrary to the message that we're hearing in the world today, because the message we hear today says that the keys to life are found in success. You know, that if you can just get this degree, or if you, can, if you can just meet this promotion, or if you can just own your business, then you've somehow arrived. Or, or that the key to life is in our accomplishments. You know, if I, can, if I can get to become valedictorian, if I can graduate with honors, then I've arrived. Or, or we like to say that the key to life is, is in your possessions. You know, if I can have this boat, or just this house, or even the Harley, you know, the key to life is in these things. It's, it's in relationships. And and so we spend our life, you know, you and I are guilty of of spending our life chasing after all of these things. And inevitably, you just wind up feeling a little disappointed when you achieve these things and find out that the satisfaction is short-lived or not self-sustaining. And so you're still searching. Now, you may know who Tom Brady is, and I realize that that might not be a very nice word around these parts, but uh, Tom Brady, the quarterback for the New England, New England Patriots, uh, did an interview with 60 Minutes one year ago just prior to the Super Bowl. Very successful young guy. Uh, he had three Super Bowl rings with, with uh, the Patriots by the age of 28 dating a supermodel on the front of all kinds of magazines. He was being asked a little bit about life and fulfillment and purpose. And listen to what he said on this 60 Minutes interview. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings And still think that there is something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me and I think, gosh, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. And maybe that's where you've been. You know, maybe that's even where you are right now. You know, you've been looking for life in all of the stuff, you know, what the world says, where it's contained. And Jesus makes it clear that you can't find it. you can't find life apart from me. And there are plenty of cheap substitutes, but they're all frauds, and true life is only found in Jesus. Jesus says, "I am the resurrection." In other words, I am the only one who gives eternal life. And then he asks Martha that question, do you believe this? Can we just stop right there for just a moment? Can I ask you that question? Do you believe this? And, and I'm not asking you to answer it according to what your, your parents believe or even what your grandparents believe. This morning it's your question. Question. Do you believe these claims, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died for our sins to forgive us, and that the tomb is empty today? John eleven twenty seven. 27, Martha replied, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And with that, Jesus walked over to the tomb And he says, take away the stone. And then in verse 43, Jesus told Lazarus to walk out. And that funeral became a party. And those tears turned to applause. And in that moment, Jesus answers the most important question that you and I will ever ask. The question, who is going to save me? And Jesus responds, I will. I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me will never die. And that leads to the final uncomfortable truth. And it's only that Jesus can save. Only Jesus saves. And I know that that type of a statement might make some of you uncomfortable because it seems kind of exclusive. But Jesus can make this claim because he conquered death. He rose from the dead, and that's our good news. We can't save ourselves, but the God who loved us sent his son Jesus into the world and that everyone who believes in him will never die. And the truth with that is, and the truth of life is this, that every one of us will have a day like Lazarus. You and I will have a a, a death day. Everyone dies. You know, the last time I checked, the immortality rate in the country today still revolves around about 100%. Everybody dies. And that's why this resurrection is so important. And even by now, you're probably wondering what that number is all about. You know, you come in and you see this strange number hanging from the stage. Well, first of all, I, I want you to be relieved in knowing that we're not raising money this morning, okay? I'm not going to ask you to take out your wallets and help us meet some, you know, ridiculous goal. It's also not the amount for Powerball jackpot tonight in Indiana, so don't get your hopes up either. And I wish I could tell you that that was the number for our national debt, but it's not that either. $1 $269 million. 998,778. It's my number. That, that right there, that's my number. Uh, believe it or not, that's my number. Um, it's how many seconds I have left to live. Uh, that according to the death clock. Believe it or not, there's this website that you can go to. It's called Death Clock. And if you go to death clock, you put in your your name, you put in your age, you know, when you were born, you answer a few questions about yourself, and all of a sudden it spits out this, this number and this countdown begins. I think this number gets me to about 2049, believe it or not. It says I've got about 40 years left to live. Now, there are no guarantees with it. It's just an estimate. I mean, no one really knows how long you have left to live. And I've lost some time since we've hung the sign. I've lost about 10,000 seconds somewhere along the way. But there was a link on this website that I noticed that was kind of interesting. It said, um, how to extend your life. And I clicked on it, and it went to this health website that talked about vitamins and about not eating bacon for whatever reason, (laughs) all right? But I got to thinking as I was looking at this website that what if there was a web link that said, never die, And if you moved your cursor over to it and you clicked on it, and when you clicked on it, these words popped up. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And the truth is that this morning, you've got a number too. You've got a number, you've got a date. And like me, you have no idea how many seconds you've got left. But here's the good news. You can extend your life. And that's why we celebrate Easter. That Jesus is the key to eternal life. He died and he rose from the dead. He's alive today. And the most important thing you need to know is that it doesn't matter how many seconds you have left to live. Because when Jesus died, he died for your sins. And he gave you the opportunity at life but you've got to let him. He'll never force his love upon anyone. He'll let you make the decision for yourself. And if you let him, he'll give you eternal life. Would you like to invite Jesus to be the leader of your life this morning? I want you to know that after the service today, we'll have some people down front that would love to talk with you about that, and we'll pray for you. Let me pray now. God, we just thank you uh, for your son, Jesus. We thank you that our God is still living today. And we thank you that he was willing to go to the cross and die for me and to die for everyone in this world, Lord. And he did it as a great act of love. And he's offered his forgiveness. He's offered his life to everyone who will receive it. And you've given us the opportunity to make that choice. And I believe there are some people here today that need to make that choice, God. And we just pray that you'd help to move them to do it.